0: Up on today's show, Premier Jason Kenney joins us to discuss the COVID situation in Alberta and the elevation of the Alberta predicament to Ottawa. Heather McPherson of the NDP spurred on emergency debate in the House of Commons last night. We'll talk to her about why and deal with some of the claims she made during that debate. And hold everything. Maybe we need to rethink allergies in schools. Pandemic is enough to send any province into a spin, right? But you throw in the political division around here. And you have an almost impossible situation. All got elevated to the uh, national stage last night as Heather McPherson, the NDP MP from Edmonton, Strathcona, pushed an emergency debate in the House of Commons regarding the situation in Alberta. She went all out. She was throwing bombs at anyone, not wearing an orange shirt. Uh, Jason Kenney was called stumbling and bumbling, an unmitigated
1: disaster. The Prime Minister... And, you know, the Prime Minister saw this coming. He has watched this happening in Alberta, and he has done nothing because he would rather watch Alberta burn than help Jason Kenney.
0: So we'll see how the Premier feels about all this in a moment. Here at home, though, of course, we press on. The new restrictions are in place. More coming tomorrow. Uh, Obviously, that will be an irritant for a lot of you. Some Albertans have taken any and all attempts to manage this pandemic uh, through public health restrictions as a personal affront. Uh, and I'm interested to see, and maybe even a little concerned to see how this all plays out as we go forward. Um, regardless of which side of the struggle you find yourself on, these latest measures brought in likely aren't going to change the way you feel about things or help change it that much, anyway. But you know, to be frank, no one cares. It's not—it's not about your feeling. It's not about appeasement or capitulation. It should be about doing what has to be done. And whatever our duly elected leader may feel, that is—that's the system. Get the information, get the advice, make the decision. And then you face the criticism. And ostensibly, that's what we saw on Tuesday night. The Premier in a primetime address outlining the new series of measures. Jason Kenney joining us now to talk a bit more about what's going on right now. Good morning, Premier. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for the invitation.
0: Yeah, I want to start with what happened in Ottawa last night. Uh, The situation in Alberta now making news on the national stage with the emergency debate in the House of Commons started by the NDP. I just want to play just a few seconds of uh, the exchange in the House last night, and then we can uh, react and, and talk about it.
1: We're here tonight because Alberta, because my province is in crisis, and that crisis is threatening all of Canada. Jason Kenney has been an unmitigated disaster for Alberta. But his terrible job is happening on the Prime Minister's terrible foundation. The federal government needed to do a better job preparing us for this pandemic, ensuring that we had paid sick days, implementing a pharmacare program, making sure Indigenous communities were better supported. That's NDP MP
0: Heather McPherson from Edmonton, Strathcona. Uh, Premier, is that embarrassing? Is that frustrating? Is it in any way helpful? Just uh, your reaction to what happened in Ottawa last night.
2: No, it's just uh, political shouting. Totally unproductive and totally predictable. I regret uh, from uh, from that party uh, doesn't contribute one one bit to to say that Alberta is burning is is ridiculous. You know what we need to do is is come together, not uh, drive uh, fear and division at this time. Um, we, uh, we we have a spike. We've got to get under control. Uh, and if we do that, vaccines will take over and we'll be able to move, move forward with uh, our normal lives later this summer. Uh, let's just let's just focus on that and, and get the job done.
0: Now, as as that um, and I agree with you, that was a hair on fire level of hysteria with Alberta burning and things like that. Um, you were speaking with the prime minister on the phone as that was happening. Are you asking for help from the feds? Is there something that the feds aren't doing at this point that you feel they should be doing?
2: Well, uh, no, not with respect to Alberta. I mean, look, obviously, we've been critical of the federal vaccine procurement. We could have used a lot more supply uh, starting in January, but that is, is now water under the bridge. Uh, I did appreciate the call. Prime Minister basically just called to express uh, support in principle and asked if, if if Alberta needed any additional assistance. I indicated that we don't at this time. I mean, that we could use additional vaccine doses, particularly uh, for uh, Fort McMurray area, but uh, that's not available. Uh, we certainly, I, I indicated, I appreciated the uh, outreach, but we don't need, um, for example, some people have floated the Canadian Armed Forces. Um, Emergency measures act. We have act. 146 people in ICU with COVID right now, Shay, and, and we have a uh, capacity to handle up to 425. Now, I'm not saying that would be but easy by any means. It would, it would impose enormous stress on the health system and our healthcare workers. We, that's, we absolutely don't want to go there, mm-hmm. which is why we introduced these measures. But we're a long way uh, from uh, maximizing the capacity of the system. The problem is, if the current numbers continue to go up for weeks, then we would reach that point. And that's that's what I walked the Prime Minister through yesterday.
0: Um, you mentioned the, you know, the political division that we're seeing now around this, and I think Alberta sees more of it than anywhere else in the country right now. Um, I've asked this question many, many times. How on earth did we think it was okay to make a pandemic political? Uh, it has served us so poorly. Um, why are we in that position, and what role did you play
2: in making this a political battle? Um, well, I think... Uh, As I've said to you before, we seem to have a a higher degree of polarization on this debate in Alberta than in other parts of Canada. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there is a range of views everywhere, as you know, Shay. But, um, you know, it it does seem to me that we have uh, a a very polarized debate. Some folks who have wanted a hard lockdown with the schools shut, most businesses closed down curfews and stay-at-home orders, others who have opposed any restrictions, and and some uh, who are in total COVID denial or have adopted conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, these two polarized camps have been uh, shouting at each other, as we just heard from that clip from the NDP last night, screaming at each other. Um, And I think the vast, but, uh, you know, I I don't think we should let those polarized extremes uh, really characterize where most people are. My sense, Shay, is most people in Alberta, the vast, silent majority know that we need uh, limited, targeted restrictions at at various times to control viral spread, protect the healthcare system, and save lives. Um, And and most people are are seeking to comply with common sense restrictions. Uh, and and I, I don't think are following the the increasingly loud and angry voices on the extremes.
0: Um, let me dig into that a little bit deeper because some of the most vocal critics of everything you've ever tried to do in terms of restrictions and public measures are um, you know the true blue conservatives. They're they're your supporters. Uh, they're some of your MLAs. And to to my eye, it seems to me like that has you somewhat put in a box, you know, politically paralyzed in a way. I mean, how, you, you you do try and walk that line, and I think the consideration is if I go too far, I will continue to lose support among my base and my MLAs and things like that. So you don't want to go too far on the side of restrictions. Do you feel like your hands are somewhat tied? Um, you're, you're getting opposition on both sides. Um, has that sort of tainted the way that, not tainted, but colored the way that you look at the decisions that you make, being politically yeah. aware of the fact that it could come back to hurt you personally?
2: No, Shay, I totally get the question, and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of every emergency management cabinet committee meeting, given all of the noise that we are surrounded by, all of the shouting, uh, I I always start by saying, folks, uh, we have to leave politics out of this room. We have to do the right thing for public health. And we ch- we keep our eye on that ball. I mean, obviously, Shay, as I've said before, we have to be aware of the broader public opinion context, Right because there are some people in this debate who seem to believe that the government can just kind of turn dials on a board and there will be a perfect direct linear connection between that and the the behavior of four and a half million free people. Society and human behavior is a lot more complicated than that. As I've always said, stringency of restrictions does not necessarily equal compliance by the mm-hmm. broader public you've got to keep people on board especially through 14 tough months when everybody's tired of this, of this thing and so i know that that critics um who say that you know uh, like that ndp member who was screaming last night who say that uh, you should have locked us down for the throughout the last year i don't think they appreciate how many albertans have just given up on the rules so we've got to be that's the that's What we keep an eye on is how do we keep buy-in from the broad majority of Albertans, uh, so that we can stay COVID-safe, get past this darn thing, and get on with their lives. And Premier, like
0: you say, the compliance is an issue, and I think we've gone
2: past the point of
0: trying to get buy-in to the point we now have a camp out there. And I agree with you; it is uh, not—it is a very small minority, but they're very loud and they're very active. um, Who? now take this as a personal challenge which brings me to enforcement and compliance um i I think we saw a change in enforcement with what happened with the whistle stop cafe in miri yesterday it looks like that's going to be the new approach can we expect to see a lot more in terms of enforcement of these restrictions and regulations over the next three weeks or month or however long it takes yes i I think so we
2: we realize there is a, a, a problem with compliance obviously and from the beginning our enforcement agencies took um I think a responsible approach. They started with education. When they saw like a business or or someone not complying, they would and try to educate them about the rules, and then they would move to seeking compliance with a little bit more nudging, and then and only then would they use um, the hard stick of sanctions. And uh, but listen, it, it's clear that some people are just out there flagrantly seeking to violate um, these rules, and in so endangering public health, extending. Here, here's the. Shay, here's the frustrating thing. I would say to the folks who who imagine themselves great freedom fighters, when they go out there and risk super spreader events and undermine public confidence in these measures, all they're doing is actually extending the pandemic. We want to get, if they want to help us get this done faster so we can lift restrictions and move on, on with our lives, then, then, then just uh, let's buckle down for a few weeks. That's our message. Um, so, yes, we've, we've signed a new protocol with all of the relevant law enforcement agencies and departments to cooperate more proactively, especially focusing on serious repeat offenders of the public health measures we have highlighted for the um, enforcement agencies that there are some very strong legal tools. There's a section of the Public Health Act which allows them to go and obtain a court order, for example, to seek uh, to prevent an event that might become a super spreader. Um, we're also uh, strongly encouraging Alberta Justice to hire more designated public health prosecutors. Um, and and so we, we hope to see greater compliance. But at the end of the day, Shay you don 't want the elected politicians picking up the phone and calling the police chiefs and telling yeah. them exactly what to do that 's not a democracy
0: no, I agree with you on that one hundred percent, and I think uh, you know the messaging has been uh, we 're going to see more more enforcement, which leads me to another question because, as you said, um, you know I think th- there are people out there who have legitimate, serious concerns about the restrictions and the effect that it has on their livelihoods and their lives and i don 't in any way want to downplay what they 're going through, but I think the majority of them do what has to be done and they may grumble about it and they may be upset about it but we also have a group of what i call provocateurs um people who are using this to become facebook famous they stream everything that they do they love the attention it's become a cause yep. celeb for them You're um right they would like nothing more than to be filmed screaming and yelling at peace officers who try to shut down a rally this weekend. Are you fearful that we could see an escalation in conflict in terms of trying to bring in enforcement around some of these things?
2: Well, I I think that is exactly one of the reasons why the law enforcement agencies have have, uh, taken a a careful approach to this. They they don't want to feed into conflict. You Remember that one of the Calgary police was criticized because he was to be kind of uh, be nice to protesters who are being really right, yeah. obnoxious in um, Chinook Center. That these folks were walking around without masks and screaming at, at at fellow at shoppers. Well, you know, I think that's an example of the police just trying to keep a situation under control. It's up to them to make those calls uh, based on each circumstance. But but you're, you know. You're right, and I think what we're talking about in that category is at most a few hundred or a couple thousand people in the province—the mm-hmm. kind of people who who trespassed on the Enoch Reserve, um, who who assaulted a First Nations woman, who uh, vandalized the car of Chief Morin up there, uh, the kind of people walking around the legislature with tiki torches emulating the Charlottesville KKK rally. Um, uh, these people are are a discredit uh, to themselves and to this province. But let's not imagine they're any more than a tiny fringe.
0: Um, about the restrictions themselves, and, and I'm constantly asked questions during this show. Is well, how come I can do this and I can't do that? How come I can't do this and I can't do that? I can go here, but you can't go there. And I mean, there's a million different questions. And you know what? Some I don't have answers to them. Is there a way where you could say, here's the data, this is why we closed the patios, this is the data, that we can trace these cases back and know that this is a source of spread? Is there some way you can bolster this and quiet down some of these calls by supporting
2: this with evidence? Is there evidence available? Well, there is. There is. Um and, and we and we I often answer those questions in Facebook live sessions and and on particular sectors and, and and so does Dr Hinshaw. we we do that in news conferences occasionally, but but Shay here's the problem like our approach until the last week has been uh, through you know much of the past few months has been targeted measures to to focus on those kinds of activities most likely to lead to viral spread targeted measures but we are now at a point where targeted measures are no longer adequate because of the 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 huge growth in in cases—we're growing by by nearly two percent a day—and um, and as you know, I mean, we have the highest numbers in the pandemic, the highest in Canada, the highest in North America in relative terms. Um, and 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 the community spread is is so widespread now that we need simply to cut social interaction as much as we can. And so, really, the, the targeted sector-specific approach is is not useful at this point. We've just got to encourage people, if they can, to stay home and whatever they're doing to be safe.
0: Um, Premier, in terms of a timeline here, a um, couple of questions around this. Uh, this is a three-week, almost three-week, um, whatever we want to call it, um, First of all, given the fact that, and I think it's a fair criticism, that we may have waited too long, and the cases are already to a a point where we're really under a lot of pressure. So first of all, why did we wait so long? And second of all, um, are you confident that this will only
2: last three weeks? Well, I'm confident that if people respond and cut social interaction, uh, uh, yes, uh, because the vaccines will make the difference. And, And let me offer this comparison In response to both those questions um bc and saskatchewan our neighboring provinces have very similar policy restrictions to alberta right now they're they're like we've surpassed them in terms of uh public health restrictions but until this week we were broadly all three provinces in the west uh very similar in our policy setting and yet their numbers are going down and ours are going up um montana last night i was talking to the governor Uh, they lifted all public health restrictions in the third week of january including their mask mandate they have almost no cases, and they're not that much further ahead of us on vaccination. They're at forty-one percent of population; we're at a third. So, um, those are indications that we can get we can get on the right track here if we just get this one particular spike under control. I, I, I ask myself, why would we be different than our surrounding jurisdictions that have mm-hmm. less stringent restrictions, or than than we do? And I don't know. These are complex things. There's a lot of factors, one of which is, is probably we have a younger population, and, and uh, COVID tends to spread more readily in younger uh, age categories. Secondly, we have a, a higher level of the population who work, who are outside of the home, mixing with other people. We've had a pretty bad spring weather that's kept more people at home. We also have a lot of folks who fly into the province to work. The outbreaks up north, some of them came from the P1 Brazilian variant, with workers flying in from BC, for example, that brought that. Um, so we got a lot of different factors but the point is similar jurisdictions have got this under control with similar policies we just need to beat down this spike Um, so in terms of the timeline
0: this we we're saying three weeks that's what we talked about on tuesday when we brought these restrictions in but it could go
2: longer correct i mean we need to see these cases come down i've said a minimum of of three weeks but but honestly it it, it's it's uh, this metaphor i've used this comparison i've used about a race between the vaccines and the variants that's actually what it is and the vaccines catch up closer every single day. If we can just flatline these numbers, mm-hmm. Jay, just flatline the growth, just stop the growth and still have some pretty big daily case numbers. The vaccines will beat it uh, soon enough, like in June. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we're at a third of the population vaccinated now. 40% of adults will be at... Well over fifty percent uh, by uh, of the population by the end of this month, in Israel and the UK, when they reached that point, the numbers started to fall. Uh, the COVID numbers started to fall off a cliff. So, so <laughs> that's why people need to know this is not going to go on for months longer. But in the meantime, let's just avoid uh, a uh, putting too much pressure on those hard-working frontline healthcare workers. They've gone through a tough enough year as it is. We, we just have to avoid the worst-case scenario where we're telling people who does and does not get care in ICUs. And if the growth accelerates from where we are now, that's where we could be in the month of June. Yeah, we are getting close to that
0: level. And uh, as we know, the vaccines are flooding into the country. So uh, I think that timeline is, it, it's like you say, it's not that much longer. We know we've seen in other jurisdictions that we are getting towards the end of this. We just have to make it there as safely as possible. Premier, I always appreciate you taking some time to chat. Thank
2: you very much Can for I joining say, us this morning. Th- thank you for being a voice of moderation and reason in all of the shouting that's going on in the province. I, I really appreciate <laughs> that. and I hope more people follow your example.
0: Well, I, yeah, I'll don't. i I'll never understand how we made a pan- pandemic political. It is just no. absolutely beyond me. I, 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 don't, thank I you, can't sure. wrap sure, my sure. head around it. Okay, okay, thanks very much, Premier. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
1: We're here tonight because Alberta, because my province is in crisis and that crisis is threatening all of Canada. Jason Kenney has been an unmitigated disaster for Alberta, but his terrible job is happening on the Prime Minister's terrible foundation. The federal government needed to do a better job preparing us for this pandemic, ensuring that we had paid sick days, implementing a pharmacare program, making sure Indigenous communities were better supported. And, you know, the Prime Minister saw this coming. He has watched this happening in Alberta, and he has done nothing because he would rather watch Alberta burn than help Jason Kenney. That
0: is Edmonton Strathcona MP Heather McPherson in the House of Commons last night during an emergency debate on the COVID situation in Alberta. Uh, Heather joins us now to talk a bit more about what went on last night. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Ms. McPherson. Appreciate your time this morning.
3: No, of course. Thanks for having
0: me. Um I'm 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 just going to be honest with you. Uh, my response to what went on in the house last night is holy cow, that's some hair on fire level of hysterical rhetoric. I mean, um watching Alberta burn
3: really like you you think that it's okay that we have, you know, over 2,000 deaths that we have we have parts of this province that have rates of infection that are higher than India? You think that that's not first, a problem?
0: First, first, do you, first <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely agree that we have a situation in Alberta. I, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Um, first of all, if you think we know the full scale of what's going on in India, I, I disagree with you strongly. I don't think we have any idea how many cases there actually are in India.
3: Well, you and I are just going to have to take sort of the reports that we get from the World Health Organization and some of those organizations. And or, or the reports numbers, from the
0: hospitals that say the death tolls are probably 100% higher than they're actually. Being reported because they can't test everybody.
3: So 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 let's not argue about What? (laughs) So Alberta's not so
0: bad. No, I'm not saying Alberta's not that bad. Um, The other question I have is, it's really uh, you. You you accuse Jason Kenney of playing politics and Justin Trudeau of playing politics. Was that not playing politics in the House of Commons last night? How was that not political?
3: Well, I mean, listen. Here's the deal. That from my perspective is that right now. Everybody needs to roll up their sleeves. Everybody needs to get to work. I called the emergency debate. I asked the Speaker to have that emergency debate so we could look at what are we going to do. And I, I'm, all, I'm all for saying that the federal government has not done enough for Alberta. Absolutely. I said it time and time again last night. But, but if you can look at what's happening in Alberta... And and what's happening in the rest of this country, and not find deep flaws with the way that Jason Kenney has dealt with this, you know, political or not. If if I was summoning you, if I was talking to you today as a mother, not as a politician, sure. if I was talking to you today as a as a small business owner, if I was talking to you today as a teacher, I would be appalled. So so so, you know, because I'm a politician, I guess it becomes political. But everyone in Alberta is looking at the un believable disaster happening in alberta and thinking what happened why is it alberta why why were other provinces with other premiers able to manage uh, this pandemic better?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. There's some serious questions that need to be asked. There, Why is it so much different in this part of the province or this part of the country? Um, when you when you talk about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, letting Alberta burn because he doesn't want to help Jason Kenney, were you aware of the fact that he was on the phone with Jason Kenney at that time talking about what the federal government could do to help Alberta?
3: Well, you know, I really hope, and I have no idea if this is the case, but I really hope the idea that parliamentarians were coming together for an emergency debate about what was happening in Alberta was something that would spur the Prime Minister and the Premier to get on the phone to each other. If that is all that came from that debate last night, it's enough.
0: Yeah, but I asked the Premier this morning, and I said, you know, is there something that the federal government isn't doing? Is there something you've asked them to do? Is there some way that they have let you down in terms of helping you deal with this situation? And he said, no. So what does Jason, why, how is Justin Trudeau letting Alberta burn when he hasn't d- uh, said no to anything that the province has asked for?
3: So, so what we have in Alberta right now is we have caseloads that are out of control. Yeah. We have a premier that fails to put down any sort of restrictions that will actually protect Albertans. We don't have the vaccines that we need. We don't have the sick time we need so that people can stay home. You know, um, MP Rempel yesterday brought up in the in the emergency debate that that not everybody can afford to stay home. Everybody needs to be able to afford to stay home. That's just the reality of where we're at right now. So So our... The programs that were put in place to support Canadians, that were put in place to support small businesses, that were put in place to support our communities, need to to be better. They need to make it so people can stay home. And that's a federal mandate. Getting vaccines into arms, getting vaccines to Alberta so that the premier can put them in Albertans' arms, that's a federal mandate. And they didn't do a good enough job. You know we put forward a proposal for pharmacare. care. What do we need more during a global health pandemic in this world than pharmacare? It's good for small business. It's good for individuals. It helps Albertans get through this crisis. And, and we don't have it, despite the fact that the, you know, you may not agree that it should be there, but the liberals promised it and didn't put it there. So, so from my perspective, there's a lot that the, the Prime Minister needs to do. And right now, knowing where we're at, like, I don't even want to talk about jurisdiction. I want to talk about everybody rolling up their sleeves and getting help for people in Wood Buffalo, getting people help for people in Calgary, getting help for people in southern Alberta, where we're having these massive um, explosions of COVID-19, where people are dying. People are ending up in ICUs. You know, ICUs are completely overrun. Doctors are... Being asked to make decisions about who lives and who dies in our in our hospitals in Alberta. This isn't no, no, no they're not. No,
0: they're not. No, they're not. They've put that. Pro- they've they've done some instruction around that protocol that that has not been brought in.
3: Have you talked to doctors?
0: I've talked to one. I talked talk to, to doctors every thing? single day. We have them on the show constantly. We, we talked to one on Me Monday. Too, morning.
3: And they are they are they are exhausted. They sure, are they are, but they're alien. not. They're
0: not deciding who who gets care and who doesn't. That's just simply not true. <laughs> Um, I want to go back to the question I asked earlier and you didn't answer. Um, You're saying that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is letting Alberta burn because he doesn't like Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney has said there's nothing we've asked for. We're not asking the Prime Minister for anything. So how is the Prime Minister watching Alberta burn? All those things you talked about, Pharmacare and paid sick leave and the federal mandate, those all apply to all the other provinces. How? Why did you say he's watching Alberta burn because he doesn't like Jason Kenney? Those things up apply to all the provinces.
3: Well, I will just say that that um, when you look at what's happening in Alberta, Alberta is not like all the other provinces right now because our case counts are so high because our provincial response has been so abysmal.
1: So, so, yeah. so it's
3: not the same. So, when I say that that Jason and in my in my debate last night, what I said actually is that. Jason Kenney refuses to take help and Justin Trudeau is is more than happy to not let him. And as a federal politician, as a politician whose role it is Can you,
0: can to you point to one instance up. where that where that's actually true where Jason Kenney has refused help or where the prime minister has not offered help because it's Jason Kenney? I mean,
3: you just brought it up. You just said that Jason Kenney said that he doesn't need anything from Ottawa. He okay. doesn't want Well, what are you, are you saying he does need? Though. That's what I'm saying. Give me
0: an example of what he should be doing uh, and asking the federal government for when he's saying, at this point, he doesn't need any federal government assistance.
3: Well, I mean, I would really like it if the federal government could send additional health supports the way they did for Quebec, the way that they did in Ontario. I'd really like it if the, if the federal government would send more vaccines to Alberta because we have hot spots. You know, we've heard from mm-hmm. public health officials that say... That, that one of the tickets to beating this third wave is to getting vaccines to hotspots. So they're doing that in Ontario. They're not doing that right now in Alberta. We need to do that better. So I would like to see, you know, for example, oh. Indigenous Indigenous communities are, are um, a federal jurisdiction. I'd like to see the federal government step up and make sure that there's more being done for Indigenous communities in Northern Alberta. Uh, the Prime Minister could do that right now. So I'd like to see him do that. I'd like to see him, Act more for Albertans, and I. That's why I called the debate. That's why I asked for it. Is so that we could actually figure out. Yeah, I am with you. On debate, for sure. Trouble,
0: I, I'm absolutely. What are we going to do about it? Um. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The, we, uh, the debate is always good. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you joining me this morning. Thank you so much. Happy to join any time. Okay. Thanks very much. That is Heather McPherson, who is the Edmonton Strathcona MP, uh, who pushed for the emergency debate in the House of Commons last night. People my age and older will remember days of peanuts at the ballpark, peanut butter sandwiches at school. You know, it was it was no big deal. Younger generations see that as complete lunacy and a recipe for disaster. Nuts and some other allergens have been banned from schools for some time now, as allergies seem to become more and more common and really a life-and-death situation for some that just didn't exist back when I was a kid. Uh, but maybe we're going to change the way we approach this whole allergy strategy at school. A team of allergy experts is recommending that schools change the rules. Let the kids bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch once again. Dr. Susan Wasserman is an allergist and clinical immunologist and professor at McMaster University. She is the lead author on the new guidelines that were just published last week. Doc, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. So we're talking about a pretty big change here because, you know, we're going back to what it was like when I was a kid in school in the 70s or 80s versus when my kids were in school in the 90s. You're saying we should be uh, allowing kids to take a peanut butter
4: sandwich to school now? Well, you know what? Listen, it's not so straightforward. So let's start at the beginning. There's no question that when I was in school, it was the same sort of issue. Everybody was allowed to eat peanut. But what our panel did was review the science of this. We went back into the literature on everything that's ever been published on food allergy management in schools and to be fair, this wasn't the greatest literature scientifically, but there wasn't much support for what we were doing at the present time in terms of keeping kids safer. Does that mean that we're going to change all this overnight or that it's going to be appropriate for everybody? No. But the science didn't back up strict avoidance as being uh, the best measure to
0: go. So in, when we take a look at the science and, and have, a, have a closer look at it, what, what is the better way? What what approach are you recommending?
4: Well, it all depends. I mean, if these are really young children or ones who can't manage, uh, you know, their food allergens developmentally or whatever... Uh, then avoidance or banning a certain food may still be the best way to go. But, you know, as we get into the older age groups, there's a lot of other safety measures we hope that could be taken so that banning is not the only explanation. You know, children, young children need to be supervised when they're eating, epinephrine has to be available, teachers have to know what to recognize in terms of signs and symptoms, and they need to know that anyway, this is not new education for them good hand-washing, clean surfaces, and education of the students. So, you know, it, uh, it's a pretty complete package mm-hmm. of other things that would add to the safety.
0: Um, it seems to me like, I mean, obviously putting the kids' safety first and foremost, it makes absolute sense, and I have no issue with that, but Part of me thinks that maybe we're doing a disservice to these kids. I mean, they're going to have to live life if 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 they have this kind of situation that they're presented with. Um, so you can make school an extremely safe environment by eliminating all exposure. But as soon as they walk out the school door, they have to have a plan in place to deal with, right? So is this sort of saying, okay, we need to have a better approach because we can't completely eliminate all exposure all the
4: time? Look, you know, I think that you raise a good point, and it went into some of our deliberations as well. Because somewhere along the line, we do want children to learn how to self-manage. And the school can be a pretty safe environment. We know that. We don't have a lot of reactions. So is this a good place to start? Should it start here? And that was one of the things that we considered. Also, look, food allergic kids do feel somewhat stigmatized. Mm -hmm. They're kept eating in a separate area apart from friends. And people know their allergies and that they have to be kept apart. But, you know, we'd like to see, we hope, in conjunction, at least for some of the older kids, a little bit more of a normalized experience. Well, I've got you here. Let me ask you, I don't get to talk to an allergy
0: expert all that often. Why are these so common now? Because I can honestly say when I was a kid, like I said, 70s or 80s, this was just not something we ever heard of. Why did it suddenly become such a prevalent issue in society?
4: Look, it's the million dollar question, and it didn't. You know, come up so suddenly. Probably now over three, four, five decades since the Second World War, we've seen these sorts of issues start to emerge. And probably the most popular explanation is that we're living a lot more cleanly. Our immune systems mm-hmm. are not so busy fighting infections, so they've become lazy and dysregulated. And instead, they've become allergic. And there are other explanations too. You know, our dietary practices have we been avoiding too many foods for too long? Uh, the bacteria that we're exposed to. So a complex issue, but the hygiene hypothesis, the initial thing I mentioned, is probably the most popular.
0: Yeah, because the thinking has changed around in terms of when we should expose kids to, right? Because my kids, you, you couldn't have a nut near them within like 300 yards until they were three or four years old. That's changed as well,
4: right? Maybe get some early Yes, exposure. complete turnaround. I mean, you know, in the old days, not so old, just a few years ago, we would tell avoid, avoid, avoid. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you avoid peanut, then you should be fine, this will not be your allergy. And then over the years, in a very famous study, what we saw is that early introduction, as early as four to six months of age, actually prevented the allergy. So this was pretty dramatic news, and that's now the practice. Introduce peanut early, and probably the same for all allergenic foods. Some people are asking on the
0: text line, uh, interesting question, has something changed with the peanuts? Pesticides, the way they're grown, something like that? Or is it peanuts, the same old peanuts we've always had?
4: There are many different varieties and there's always been speculation. You know, is it a fungal contaminant of the peanut? Is it how it's prepared, boiling versus roasting? And in fact, boiling could be more protective in terms of who develops the allergy. But at the end of the day, for practical purposes, peanut is peanut. Um, for any parents out there with
0: children with these sort of allergic conditions, um, what's the advice to them as things change in school? It seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I am, that you're sort of saying, okay, we need to put an em- emphasis more on dealing with um, a potential reaction if there is a reaction. And I understand it's going to be age-related. But sure. Is that sort of, uh, we're going to shift this away from reducing exposure and putting more emphasis on the teachers and the children and the parents around them to say, okay, you need to learn how to manage this situation? Is that the approach?
4: Look, it's very much sort of, uh, you know, a multifactorial thing. My message to parents is everybody is doing the best job possible to keep your children safe Mm -hmm. and don't be anxious. Work with your school easier said than done, and we're not recommending that schools take a gigantic leap forward and remove all site banning. You know, there are going to be classrooms and situations and very young children where all of this may still be appropriate. Work with your school, and the focus should be education uh, and everybody recognizing what needs to be done in the event that there is a problem. And stock epinephrine, which is important. We think that every school should be equipped with epi, not just every child carrying it on their own have a response ready last one before i let
0: you go are we entering an area now where you keep running that play to get it right and increase exposure younger and the body can naturally adapt is that a strategy or are we still saying no certainly
4: no certainly in the very young earlier exposure speak to your doctor speak Mm -hmm. to your allergist but early exposure as children or young infants is certainly best And we hope that the answer to a lot of this is prevention down the line, or at least a better cure that we don't have. Excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, doctor. I
0: appreciate your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. That is Dr. Susan Wasserman, who is an allergist and a clinical immunologist and professor of medicine at McMaster University, the leader author on this new study saying that, you know what, the way we're doing things with peanut allergies and other allergies in schools, we're not helping. We're not helping. Uh, So we need to change the way we're doing things. Now, as I said, this is just a report they've authored and put forward. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, your kid can take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to school today. Uh, things are different. Thanks for listening today. If you hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.